Hello and welcome to Even the Trunchbull, our show about children's books and why we still love them as adults. She's Nina. They're Matt. And we think that children's books are for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchbull. Trunchbull. They're all mistakes, children. Filthy, nasty things. Glad I never was one. From Roald Dahl's beloved Matilda, despite her protestations. Each episode, we review one picture book and one chapter book. We start off with books that we read as kids, but if you've got a book you'd like us to review, especially if you are currently a kid, please get in touch. You can email us on eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter at TrunchbullPod and on Instagram at eventhetrunchbull. This episode is all about money. It's a bit of a different one. We've got a non-fiction children's book for you this month, which has been suggested by our very special guest, Lizette Orton is the author of The Secret of Haven Point, um, which eagle-eared listeners will remember from our episode about mermaids last year. Hello, Lizette. How are you doing? Hello, I'm good, thanks. Hi, you two. <laughs> All right. Great to have you on. Oh, thank you for having me, you absolute legends. Where are you at at the minute? Tell us about your lovely studio that you're in. Yeah, so I'm in Darlow, and I'm in my lovely studio that um, is on a ring road. So if there's some random, like, car noises, that'll be why. But I like to pretend it's the sound of water and therefore it becomes soothing. But it's got a brilliant <laughs> chair for napping. It's got what I call my murder wall, which I cover in all stuff when I'm kind of making a new book. And it's got a whiteboard, which is just living the dream, really, isn't it? It if is. It's got a whiteboard. Wonderful. So we loved Secret Haven Point. Yes, we did. We did a whole episode on that. Um, and you're now writing follow-up or something else entirely so the one that's come out the stickleback catchers is set in kind of the same universe the same land um if you've read the first one there will be a little bit of a moment towards the end where you go was that them um but Um, otherwise it's whole new characters and whole new story okay because we left the last one with them sort of setting off on a adventure didn't we I know, like, I know what happens next, and I know the prequel and all that kind of stuff, but um, once I know something, I'm definitely a pantser when it comes to writing. What's the point of writing it down if you already know it, right? (laughs) Exactly. That's why I can never plan anything, because if I've planned something, I've done it, and then I can't be bothered to write it. Yeah. (laughs) So we've just gone somewhere else entirely with different people. Yep, yeah. yep, because then I didn't know what was happening and then I could like explore it yeah. while I wrote it and then I didn't get bored and then I actually finished it. Yay! Do you want to tell us a little bit more about The Stickleback Catchers, which is out now, right? It is out now. It came out in February. So, um, children's book. It's magical. It has disabled characters in, as per always, just like me. Uh, so we've got Mimi, who um, has a really annoying fringe uses crutches and always has like a conqueror or a pebble in her pocket. And she lives at the bowling club with her grandparents and her grand's a little bit worried she doesn't have friends her own age. So she very embarrassingly puts an advert in the local paper. Um, (laughs) And that's, I know, imagine the trauma. So that's how Mimi meets Titch. And Titch has a very small name, but Titch is very tall. And they uh, become Mimi's best friend. And Gran is starting to forget things. And every time Gran forgets something, cracks appear. And these horrible void collectors come out. So it's about Mimi and Titch trying to solve the puzzle of what's happening 
with Graham. They meet Nuzrat, the puzzler, the podcaster, and um, they go on an adventure and there's time travel and backwards flowing rivers and a talking scruffy raven called Fig. Time travel. Turns out that's quite hard to write as well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. So you've got so you've got as the dementia's happening, like literal cracks are appearing in the world around them. Yeah, yeah, and so creepy cool. things. So it's to do with memory and it's to do with loss and I suppose learning to live in the now if you've got that support by friends around you. And yeah, I, I was really, really close to my grandparents. They were on both sides, they were a massive part of my life. So it's kind of um like my book to honour them, really, and those beautiful relationships you can have with the older generation. Oh, it makes us think loads of um, one of our other favourite podcast friends who we've had on as a guest, um, Porrid Kenny, one of his books, Pog. Yeah. I don't know if you've read that one, Lizette. It's... I haven't. It's on my list to read now. If you like Pog, then get hold of Lizette's new book. I'm de- yeah, I'll definitely have to definitely. get hold of it myself. We're here to talk about cash, aren't we? Yeah. And it's your pick, Lizette. So do you want to tell us about it? Yep, it is called Cash. It's a non-fiction children's book. It's by Rashmi Pandey. I know Rashmi because she was on the Right Now programme with Penguin a couple of years before me. And Rashmi just writes the most amazing um, picture books. They're all extraordinary. Incredible non-fiction. Like, she's just got the brain of a legend. But it's also really, really supportive to new writers. Just glorious human being and um cash how to earn it save it spend it grow it give it is the book that like i wish i'd had like adults read this book it's um and children give it to all of them and what i love about it is that um it's always talks about cash for good money for good and how it can be used for like dodgy purposes and things but it's got loads of stuff and it's even got a picture of an actual money tree in it so it's sort of structured in this sort of like earn, save, spend, grow, give. Uh, but it starts with a history of money. It talks about money as a tool, as a way to sort of, as a physical object to store value. And I thought that that was explained really well in a really concrete way that like it's a technological advancement, right? Money. Because you used to be, as you still are in computer games, limited by how heavy your coins were, right? Yes. Like, you couldn't be a billionaire because, like, literally, where would you put it or how would you store all of that stuff? And then it's got stuff about. Um, and I loved a bit as well about how bartering didn't always work because you might have some brilliant cows, but if no one wanted your brilliant cows, yeah. You were scuppered. The history bit was probably my favourite bit. Mm. Being a bit of a history nut as well, I was like, ah, that's really interesting. I mean, it's quite sort of broad strokes. It's a quick whiz through. Yeah. As kind of arguably the whole book is. Yeah. I mean, I guess because otherwise you're going to be looking at like a pretty serious academic tome, right? <laughs> yes. One of the things I want to ask you is reading this, because I really can't figure it out because I'm not a 10-year-old kid read it as a 10 year old kid i don't know whether this would be like over my head at that age or not it's sort of tackling quite complicated topics but that's sort of quite admirable i think in a kid's book and it does build up to it i wanted to get a sound on what you thought on that it's the book that had i been that age like i would have wanted like i did not understand why i was putting money in a bank 
right. how banks work or why I wanted to do that. Um, the fact that it's saying about you know like interest and how that works and compound interest and, and inflation. How, yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, actually, that would have been helpful. And just mm. things like um, like the value of money. I love. There's a section about um, working out what you really want, and there's a bit about if you went to the cinema every week. But instead of going to the cinema every week, you saved that money and you you could then eventually buy those pair of trainers and how long that would take you. I think yeah. um, I would have really, really benefited from that because I was all about the, mm. you know, like the get rich now, what can I have for my book? Whoa, I'll have like that, that bag of sweets, please. And I remember my dad trying to explain about saving and not kind of really getting it. Money needs to be talked about more. It's unfortunately what makes the world go round and you can get into a real pickle if you kind yeah. of don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got a cool bit in it, doesn't it, about kind of like beware of loan sharks and all the rest yeah. of it and, yeah. and pitfalls to avoid. Like, I think where it shines is all the like practical places, like where mm. it talks about advertising and advertising's goal is to make yeah. you feel like you need something you just want yes and like all that stuff and also the bit about like now that there are contactless payments it's much easier to feel like you're not spending real money yeah i feel like all that practical stuff is really really good my mum had a really good conversation with me about saving up or spending what you've got right away so i used to get pocket money from my granddad and my granddad lived in the uk and i lived in france and i used to get 100 francs in the olden days <laughs> which is a, about a tenner right yeah a month uh which was very generous of him massively and, uh, so time. yeah he couldn't be in our lives in a more physical way that often you know we saw him in the summer he would cut out a bit of paper wrap it around the the note of money and like write us a little tiny letter and then you know i've still got some and i remember my sister used to spend like it was like it burned a hole in her pocket she had to go and spend it all right away and then I was a kid who for a long time didn't want anything so it just piled up and piled up in like I don't I don't think I had a bank account I think it was just all in an envelope until I discovered that I wanted stuff I've got really into Winnie the Pooh when I was about seven or eight and I don't know if you've seen these. I've got these lovely... They don't look like the Disney Winnie the Pooh. They look like the ones in the book, like the Shepherd yeah. illustrations. These lovely, cuddly toys of Winnie the Pooh. And I could afford Piglet, but I couldn't afford Pooh because Pooh was bigger. Uh, and I remember being in the toy shop with my mum and she said to me, you can't afford Pooh this month, but if you save your money two more months, you can afford Pooh or you can buy Piglet now. So first I bought Piglet and then I come back the next month and I obviously cannot afford poo. And I'm really sad about it. And she's like, well, you could save the money or you could just buy something cheaper with the money that you've got now. And it was, I remember the dilemma. I could get like the fun game now or I could wait another three whole months. Which is a long time. I mean, it's a long time anyway, but when you're a kid, yeah. it's just, yeah. Yeah, I did get poo. <gasps> Well done. In the end, still have him. That is a badge of honour. I think that was a really good conversation that my mum had with me. Mm. I think it's hard to do with a kid, and that's what I thought this really shone, was in all the practical ways of, you know, like, talking about the feelings people have about money as well, like, that it that some people sort of feel bad about money or feel shameful if they have money problems, which my parents did, you know, and that your parents aren't bad people if they can't afford to give you pocket money. 
you know, and that sort of stuff. I thought that was all really strong. I think I would have really liked this book. Yeah. I was reading sort of like pop history at this age, like sort of 10-ish. And I remember this like history book that like covered like all of history, which was about as thick as cash, right? So obviously it was missing loads of things <laughs> and simplifying things really down. But I remember feeling really grown up reading nonfiction books at about 10. So I think I would have liked this. Mm. There's bits about um, how to make money. It gives you ideas mm-hmm. on that that I love and that's practical. And I love... There's a big section on like how to learn and strategies about that and bits about how to adapt to change and making mistakes and then turning things around and working well with other people and kind of applying it to what you're doing now and how those skills in the future are going to help you as well and creativity and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, actually, where I kind of, I guess, lots of my skills were in like the soft side, like those kinds mm. of things. To read something that would have said, those are valuable and you're mm. going to do well out of those. I think I would have liked to know that. I think it's really good about like, you're probably going to do a job that hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And, you know, like it's more important to sort of be adaptable right now and be open to learning than it is to get down exactly what's in the curriculum. Yeah. I think it's a really important book, and I sort of hate that it's important, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Because it's the bits where it's sort of like, or you might want to be a teacher and an artist, and you probably won't earn much money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) moving swift. It's almost like um, Rashmi's being a little bit apologetic for writing it. Because quite a lot of us want to live in a world where it's not dominated like this. I'd love to go back to the barter system. Like I do that with artist friends. Like, mm. you know, like you, you either swap things that you've made or time or expertise or skills. But yeah, and I do love the fact that lots of it is about money can be used for evil. But these are some of the great things that you can do or volunteering or charity work. And this is how to do that. So, um, yeah. And there's a bit that I was reading um, about opportunities cost. I loved that bit. Like mm, um, That was interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah, I guess what you were talking about, Nina, with, you know, you get this or you don't get that. And I was thinking about that the other day in terms of, I quite often say yes to lots of stuff. If someone says, would you do? And I go, yes. Yeah. And then afterwards I go, oh, no, I haven't got time to do all of the stuff that I, I should be doing or maybe I should have prioritised. So I like that lots of the stuff can be kind of applied to different things as well, not just cash. Once it started talking about mining Bitcoin, I was a bit like... <laughs> but but I think bear in mind it was written in 2020 before Bitcoin had you know a mega wobble. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it talks about it in quite a good neutral way, as just like a technology, and that all these other money technologies came before, and every time a technology came along, it changed how we interact with money. Yeah, and what's going to come next? I did like the fact, though, even though I don't agree with the Bitcoiny stuff, that at least I felt like I actually get what it is now and there is the talk Mm. about the environmental cost of it and all the electricity needed to do that and the fact that is it stable and things like that and does it actually exist and yeah I I liked it as the whole um this is something that's going on out there because it is yeah it's happening yeah I think it is important to understand that world yeah I was thinking when you were chatting about when you were younger as well Nina like I definitely remember being in school and I think I had a geography teacher who made some allusions a couple of times the fact that he kind of had money in several different bank accounts in different countries 
and sort of had done from when he was sort of like 13, 14, because I think he'd grown up in a few different countries. And he right. was just like, that's how I made my pocket money for a while. And we were like, what? It was like, well, yeah, well, you just like move money from one place to another when it's the right time to do it. And that makes money. And it was like, okay. Was he able to explain that to you in a way that made sense? Well, no, it just it was just sort of like a casual aside. I mean, I kind of like scuppered sense of money for myself a little bit. My gran had put some money for me and my sister in premium bonds. And I won like 550 quid when I was like 12, 13, which obviously at that oh age is God. like all the money in the world. Yeah. right? <laughs> and I just spent all of it on computer games over the course of the next couple of years and just got very used to like money being a thing that I had. And it was, mm. yeah, so I mean, that is where something like this might have come in really useful of like, yeah. cool, you've got a bit of money now. Like you could do something with that. Yeah. Um, but no, I just sort of um, bought lots of nice things. and. Uh, <laughs> I think that's valid too, right? I think it's just knowing that that's what you're doing. Yeah. That wasn't a conscious thing. It was just yeah. like my 12 year old brain going like, oh, cool. Like when you need money, it appears. <laughs> I think I kind of had that. I got pocket money and it was in a pot and you kind of went and got it out. I think because I didn't understand the value of it and things, it's kind of like I didn't get the whole like when it was gone, it was gone thing. And Mm. I think it'd be so easy, even at a young age, it's dead easy to like, I don't know, as you said about like the contactless and not and, you know, apps on your phone and buying things and stuff. It's it's really, really, really much easier now to spend money you either don't have or all of a sudden go, that was meant to last me for the rest of the week for my bus fare. And now I don't have my bus fare anymore i think the tips about budgeting are really good i think for example the tip about like take your savings out of it first before you do any spending yes (laughs) like don't just save what you think Mm. you'll have left yeah you know like savings for i thought that was really good lizette orton needs to follow that (laughs) (laughs) i was impressed by like the way that he explained banking like stuff that i don't know i didn't know that about you know, interest and stuff. The bank is using your money that you've put in there to lend to other people and the interest is what they're paying you to be able to lend it. Because inflation happens if you just do keep it all in your money box in your piggy bank for like 50 years. It won't be worth anything. Yeah. and It's not safe that way. The value that it's holding isn't safe because money is worth less and less over time. Yeah. I was a little bit sad that this book existed and had to exist but then I was really glad actually that it did because it does it in like really as kind as you can be about solid cold hard cash. I think it got my hackles up because I get so scared of money and don't understand Mm. it and just sort Mm. of spend a lot of time wishing we'd lived in a world where the whole thing was different and we didn't need it as much. I was like reading it going I don't know what to do with this and it was like a bit towards the end where it kind of felt like encouraging kids towards being hedge fund managers and I was like oh I don't know about that I didn't get that bit I got it like because there is loads of stuff about creativity and art and all those kinds of stuff but then it is the really honest bit of you can do that and that can massively be your job 
but you're going to need a side hustle. Yeah, Rashmi yeah. was a lawyer, did have like the big amazing job and then when actually yeah. I need that, that's that's breaking me and I feel quite sad about that. And so I'm going yeah. to have like the freelance hustle instead. I, I think this is it. it. It's the word side hustle. Mm. And it is, it is the world now and it is really important. Right at the beginning of lockdown, I was teaching a, a uni module creating contemporary performance and we were doing a show kind of about money and what money is in the world now and there was one point we were having one of these zoom discussions with them and we were chatting about like the value of money and i was trying to talk to them about like arts council and public funding and the fact that like a lot of the stuff i do is just funded by the government and the point of that is like as a society we've chosen to put some money towards things like that happening and they were all like firmly like why would you do something that wasn't going to make money like it's stupid of you to have decided to do that mm. and it's like the kids now that's the only world they've grown up with yeah and i think i think that's probably where like me hattles got raised by this book mm. a bit it's like oh it's it's a book for that world and like completely yeah. fair yeah. enough because that is the world we're in i think it's brilliant but i think maybe i want like a book somewhere for kids that's like hey doesn't have to be this way we've got like a new generation who are facing so many things that we didn't have to and like yeah. what you were saying nina about the section about um advertising i mean there was no real need for that apart from the fact that i circled everything each year in like the boots catalog and the whatever catalog that came out <laughs> at christmas there wasn't that like bombardment of mm. stuff everywhere yeah i think it's really valuable i think that lots of fiction books probably deal more with the fact that like money is unfair yeah and unfairly distributed and also the ability this is something that was missing it from this book for me a bit was that the ability to make money is also unequally distributed that some of us are disabled and Mm. can't do the nine to five like hustle we can't do rising grind you know like That it's not just that, like, the world that you're born into is unfair, but also that you could be really good with money, as I think I am, and still be poor. Like, what was missing for me was a bit more acknowledgement of the fact that, like, you haven't failed if you haven't got money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I wonder whether that's the bit that was dealt with in the the shame bit, because there was a... I, I love the way that was handled, you know, if your parents are having issues or they can't give you pocket money, you know, like, don't blame them. Maybe it's a conversation to have a chat about. But yeah, we're living such a society where value is placed on your ability to earn. Like in a disabled body, that's really hard. And like you were saying, Matt, if you are creative and you want to create stuff that brings not cash into the world, but joy and wonder and magic, all those things that we need to thrive and survive, but they just don't have coin attached to them, do they? I think the author did a really good job of addressing that. It it was just like a little side point, but she said, like, unfortunately, some jobs that are really valuable aren't paid enough, and that's not fair. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do those jobs. You know, those are still valuable. Lizette, is there a excerpt that you'd like to read to give us a bit of a taste of the writing style? Yeah, I love this book. So many things are changing. The best thing you can do today is to get ready for change. And the best way to do that is to get yourself some skills. 
like knowing how to learn. Now you might be thinking, how am I supposed to learn how to learn? That makes no sense at all. But what it means is you need to become a boss at learning new things. This could be anything at all from learning a language or learning how to code, to learning how to walk on a tightrope. You have to figure out what strategies work best for you. Maybe you like to read about something first, then watch people in real life or on, or on video and copy them, then practice, practice, practice. Maybe you prefer to jump straight into watching or listening and practicing. What you learn might change, but the learning bit is the same. Mm. You'll tweak it a little depending on what you're learning. Get good at learning, and if you want to try something new, you know you can always work on it. Mm. I love that. Bit, that. that stuck with me, actually. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's one of those things as well that um, my brain is brilliant and extraordinary and incredibly clever, but does not normally fit into the modes of learning that are normally the mm. way that it happens in school and things like that. So I thought that I was like a bit stupid about stuff for quite mm. some time. Mm. And actually, mm. it doesn't matter about the what you're learning if you've got strategies on how to learn and what best mm. suits you. And that was like a proper light bulb moment for me. I mm. wish I'd been told that and taught that. I thought that was like a corker of a shining bit in that book. Yeah. yeah. I think she set herself like a really big task with this book didn't she like it covers so many different areas and Mm. um you know like from the history to like strategies and like sort of semi-political things but then like really right back down to the practical I think Mm. she's really good at writing for a specific kind of young reader that sort of really likes the little nugget I would have been completely charmed by the bit about the coins yeah 10 Mm. like I would have been charmed by the money tree and like all the little like funny asides she makes. But she's very good at like sneaking in a lot of education about things that she herself in the book admits are boring. <laughs> she's like, yeah. I know, yeah. I know, yeah. stocks and shares. <laughs> but bear with me. Imagine standing on a jelly. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a huge, massive topic. It's just the book that I think every freelancer should read yeah. as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think she talked about the gig economy really well. Yeah. yeah. And it's true that, like, the people who are children now, I think are going to have so much less security mm. in, you know, like, just being able to, like, start doing a job and then keep doing that job for, like, 40 years and then get a pension and be okay. Like, they are going to need to have to be so much more flexible. Yeah. It's, I, I remember, like, when I wanted to do kind of the whole writing theatre thing, the big thing, the scary thing that everyone found about that and that they weren't behind it because of was, like, that's not a proper job. Mm. How are you going to get a mortgage? How are you, how are you going to know what your monthly income's going to be? And all that kind of stuff. And I remember talking to somebody else who did have a freelance career and I'm going, well, you think you're stable in a job, but then if someone, like, takes that away from you, you're absolutely scuppered. Whereas if you're like us doing the, the freelance, yeah, the yeah, hustle, yeah. the... I mean, I don't call it hustle because I do too many naps for hustle. But um, <laughs> doing that thing where you're doing all those different things, at least there's nobody else like in charge of that that can like pull mm. the rug out from under me. Like, and there's something that um, feels quite secure yeah. in that, that I'm more in control than somebody else's. It feels like the conversations change. I think it used to be like, if you want to be like a musician or an actor or a writer, it's like either you're going to make it famous and make a fortune or you're going to fail and do something else. There's much more acknowledgement now that you're like, 
you can make a living off it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's always people who need writers. That do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's not just the superstar or nothing. Yeah. You can just be a job in whatever and yeah. and make your way through with it. And you can um, call yourself it now, even if that isn't the source yeah. of your income. Like I was calling myself a writer when most of my income was from my part-time job in a jewellery shop. There's something brilliant about that now where it is like the thing that you want to do and is your passion and your heart song. You might not be able to make enough money off that to pay the rent. And that does suck, but you can still call yourself that while you're doing the other things as well. And like no one looks down on you about that. The idea of making it and being famous has become so diluted as well, right? Because mm. like even when we were growing up in like the 90s and noughties, there was four channels and Top of the Pops was on every week. And if you're on Top of the Pops, you were famous, right? Yeah. And that was it. Like there's nothing below that. There's nothing between like a play in the pub in the village on a weekend and I'm on top of the pops really in terms of like public awareness whereas now like obviously the internet yeah there's no platform where like two-thirds of the population are going to tune in and watch you on a Tuesday the whole thing's much more kind of spread out when we're talking about like having a hustle and making money in this book like there's lots of pocket money tips like you know lemonade stands and stuff like that Um, my sister and I used to record the top 20 but it couldn't fit on like a 90 minute tape if you had all the chat as well. So it'd have like the clunk click of the on off at the end of the song. So we'd miss bits <laughs> off. And then we'd go around the street and sell the neighbours the tape that we'd done like the shortened version because it didn't have all the whiffle in. Oh, and we'd wow. sell them that. But then the next week we'd go back round and ask them for the tapes back so we could record over again. So they didn't get to keep the tape. <laughs> They just had the service. Yeah. Well, you were like exactly. a mobile by a library. <laughs> so what are you writing now, Lizette? Um, so I'm in the middle of editing something that I'm not allowed to talk about, but that's fun and exciting. exciting. I'm writing with young people from Newcastle. I'm writing live theatre on the quayside. I'm doing their Christmas nice. show. So I'm very excited about that. Um, I'll be writing that over summer. So that will be weird, feeling all yeah. snowy <laughs> and Christmassy at that time. And hopefully just getting a little bit of time to make stuff up again. It's lovely being contracted and having commissions and writing books and things, but I'd really just like to sit for a bit and just see what plops out. I'd quite like a little bit of space for that. It's one of my things I always like to sort of find out with writers is like how much of a planner or a winger you are. Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like they're two quite different schools, right? Yeah. Do you sit and storyboard everything or do you just like write until it finds itself kind of thing? I find it quite hard to like pin down and know, because books take so long, know that that's got to be the obsession and the thing for a while. So Mm -hmm. I think I get quite scared of committing, but then once I do, I'm just massively obsessed with it completely. But I don't plan at all. So what you would usually do if you were trying to sell a book, the normal thing is to give like a bit of a a synopsis. So the plan Mm -hmm. of what's going to happen in the story and Mm -hmm. to do some like samples of the writing. And I'm like, my agent is brilliant I said I could write a synopsis but it would be a complete and utter lie 
and I wouldn't stick to it at all. So is there any point really in me doing that? So instead, the things that I send in are things like, what is the theme in the heart song? And yeah. these is, this is my list of obsessions that I want to write about. And these are some pictures that I found on the internet that kind of illustrate my weird brain. And, and I've managed to like sell a book but i think that's better i'd love that on the other side of the desk yeah. it's similar to me with me theater stuff like i got quite good at writing copy which pins me down to nothing yes uh, do you know what i mean when you're like yeah. developing a show but you need to like put it on at some theaters to develop it and figure it out and of course they've got audiences so they need you to like write a thing yep. that's like what are you coming to see and i think there's a real skill a kind of like giving a real sense of what it's probably going to be without actually promising anything specific <laughs> at all. I mean, I can write the most amazing synopsis. Like, I'm sure you could. It would be brilliant. But then you go, done it now. Can't be bothered to make that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm totally the same. I'm totally the same. The next show I want to make, I love the idea for it so much that there is very little motivation yes. To, yes. to do it. So I'm like, well, that's sort of done, right? Like, <laughs> I thought for me that when I was writing books, like the main bit that I would be really excited about was to be able to go into bookshop and go, oh, that's my book on a shelf. It's lovely and mm. it's like, I still can't believe it's quite happened, but mm. it's not the exciting thing. The exciting thing is the fact that someone's given me some pennies to just be able to play. And it's the process of like making stuff up that I just love. Yeah. You know, when you're writing and you think you're probably going to write about one thing and your fingers take you in a completely yes. different yeah. direction. You're like, have I just been possessed by something? You're a clairvoyant. You just <laughs> yeah. like plug yourself in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. I'm a planner, but I don't stick to my plan. Okay. But then it's very hard to make myself write the one that I'm planning to write. I'm like, okay, so I know I've got a chapter that needs to go in between this thing and this thing. And I need to take the characters from here to there. And like, it's going to be like this kind of vibe. And then I start and I'm like, well, this character just started talking and didn't stop. I start off writing freeform and then I hit a point in my head goes like, whoa, let's have a look at what we've got and what we're making here. Because my writing process is just literally make a mess throw the spaghetti at the wall see what sticks and what you're interested in and then formulate that into some form of shape I kind of keep thinking there should be a better way of doing it so for the edit that I was working on I was like oh I'm going to do it properly like imagine air quotes <laughs> while I'm saying properly so I bought myself a pack of you know like you get the little index like catalogy card things I didn't quite know what I was going to do with them, but I know that writers use them. <laughs> so I put them in my bag and I carried them for three weeks and then I took them back out again. But yeah, I keep thinking there must be a better way, but I think my just scruffy way is the way that I do it. For ages, I wanted to be a writer, but I felt that I couldn't be a writer until I'd read all the 354 billion books that are out there about how to be a writer. Mm. And every one of them shouts at you in a different manner. None of them fit my disabled body whatsoever because for a writer, yeah. basically, I just daydream. Like, I barely write. I just do lots of time napping and thinking. But I was like, oh, well, I will definitely do my morning pages. And then I was like, actually, I'm knackered. That was all my writing energy used up. I yeah. writing absolute drivel in the morning. So I spent years lost to, like, doing it the proper way. Mm. So I should probably stop. It's about learning to trust your own process, isn't learning it? Learning to learn how you learn. That was the best takeaway of that book for me, I think. 
Cool. So who would you say this book is for, Lisette? I think it's for little me, who was kind of intelligent and geeky, but didn't have people around them who knew this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think there should be one in every classroom. I agree. I think it's a really good one to have in schools. Yeah, to prompt discussions. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lisette, for agreeing to come on. We've really enjoyed chatting to you. I'm really excited about Stickleback Catchers, which I have not read yet, but I will. Do you know what? Like, you and I have such writing overlap that I started reading The Secret of Haven Point, or remember this, Matt, and I got jealous. I was like, <gasps> it's so close to what I'm writing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and where can we find you on the internet? You can find me uh, hanging out on the old socials, so at Lizette underscore Orton, or Lizette Orton being the weirdest name in the universe, shove that into ye olde Google and my website pops up, which allegedly will tell you what I'm up to, but is usually about 12 years out of date. That is that. But thank you both so much for inviting me and having me. You're just um, splendid people doing amazing creative goodness in the universe. So thank you for existing. Oh, thank you so much. You too. You've been a great guest. Oh, yay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, so that was Lizette. Isn't she lovely? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we plug on um, uh, without Lizette, which which feels quite sad now. It feels I like know. our fellowship is breaking apart. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna push on to talk about uh, those shoes by Maribeth Boeltz and illustrated by Noah Z Jones. Um, do you want to talk us through this one, Nina? Yeah. So this is a picture book. The cover says it all, really. Like. There are these shoes, these beautiful high-top shoes with two stripes, and they're all over the billboards like we were talking about in the chapter book. You know, they're all over advertising. The cool kids at school have got those shoes. Jeremy is in love with this pair of shoes. He really wants these shoes. There's sort of a bit of a hierarchy at school. There's the kids that have got those shoes and the kids that haven't. Jeremy lives with his grandma. Grandma probably is retired and isn't working and there isn't a lot of money coming into the household. Page one, he says, Grandma, I want them. She says, there's no room for want around here, just need. And what you need are new boots for winter. His shoes start to fall apart and a really nice teacher at school gives him some shoes. Some really naff shoes. But they're so naff. They've got, like, a cartoon character on them that, like, nobody his age has ever watched. And they've got Velcro on them. Yeah. Which is what his little cousin wears. I love this bit because he's not just automatically grateful. It's very true, isn't it? It's like, oh, great, lovely. I've got these horrible castaways that are going to get me bullied. Yeah. Better than being barefoot. And he's trying to be grateful and he's doing his spelling words that night and he's holding his pencil in his hand and like the pencil is shaking and like it feels like all the words he's writing are just like shoes, 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 shoes. Like it's really Mm. preoccupying him. And then grandma sort of takes him shopping and says, okay, I've got a little bit put aside. Maybe we can look at those shoes. And they try them on in the store and they are so beautiful. And they look at the sticker and it's like... Uh, it, it can't happen this can't happen and it's really disappointing and then jeremy has a good idea he's like let's go to the charity shop because maybe maybe a rich kid got two pairs for christmas and just gave them mm. away and there is a pair of those shoes in the charity shop 
and he crams his feet in them. He's like, my toes will need to fall off <laughs> yeah. for these to fit. And he wishes for his toes yeah. to fall off. That's the bit that really got me. Yeah. Again, it just felt really true to the thing of like, just like, oh, if only my toes would fall off. So his grandma's like, let me feel your toes. And she can feel that his feet are just completely crammed into these things. And she's like, I'm sorry, I can't buy you shoes that don't fit you. And he's like, well, fine, I'll buy them. And he uses his pocket money. And he buys yeah. them and he walks to the bus stop in them and it's so painful. And he's like, oh, maybe they'll stretch. And his grandma's just like really gentle with him and like doesn't say no, they won't. Yeah, she just sort of puts his winter boots in his cupboard without seeing anything. Yeah. Just like, those are there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't wear them to school because like their absolute agony turns out the beautiful shoes are one or two sizes too small. Then he meets another kid... And he notices that that kid's shoes are falling apart like his were. Mm, They're playing mm. basketball together and the tape that's holding Antonio's shoes together is like flapping when he's running. And he notices that Antonio's feet are smaller than his feet. And then Antonio comes back for dinner that night and Antonio sees those shoes. And he's like, Mm. oh, those are so cool. Why don't you wear them? And Jeremy didn't say anything, but he's resisting an urge. He's like, I'm not going to do it. But then he does. He gives the shoes that don't fit him to Antonio. In the funniest way, this kid lives across the road and he takes the shoes and goes across, leaves them on the doorstep, rings the doorbell and runs away. Yeah. It's like, not on your life am I going to hand you these shoes, but maybe they'll just appear on your doorstep. <laughs> I thought that was great. Him and Antonio are like the only ones who don't have those shoes, right? The detail earlier on that I think's really nice is that like when he walks back into the class with the NAF shoes that he's got off the guidance counsellor, Antonio's the only one who doesn't laugh. Yeah. And the picture's yeah. brilliant there again. Like it's Jeremy stood in the doorway, like looking gutted. But Antonio yeah. sat in the back row on his own is like literally just looks like he's seen someone murdered. So him giving up the shoes to Antonio is like in that sort of hierarchy model is like confirming himself as bottom rung, right? Like that's what he's given up. And then the snow starts coming down and it turns out, yes, he did need the winter boots that his gran bought him. He puts them on and he runs out into the snow. Then he's the kid with the new shoes, right? And the sort of change of weather kind of changes his fortunes and no one's wearing the swanky new trainers anymore. And then they have a race. Yeah. And that's the story. What did you think of it? I loved it. I think it's great. It sits really nicely against uh, Cash because it sort of real worlds it. Yeah. And I think some of the stuff we're talking about of where that book maybe falls down of like the how unfair the world is and how difficult it is to make money. This being fiction has more space to shine a light on that. Yeah. Cash talks about giving in terms of like choosing charities to give to. I think mm. this is quite an interesting kind of counterpoise to that as well in terms of the idea of like giving being such like an emotional decision and like and it's not even like I have plenty so here is some of my spare no it's like I've got nothing but I do have this that I can't use that you can yeah it doesn't sort of pull its punches it's really true to like that age group and that set of like dynamics and 
what you're wearing and what you're not. Like, I mm. remember all of that, you know. I was never kind of, like, on trend and all the rest of it. The relationship with his grandma is really lovely. The way she approaches it, it's always very upfront. She's never sort of bullshitting him about money. It's just like, here's the situation, but sort of trying to best to protect him as well. Yeah. What did you think of it? I was looking for a book to go with cash when I found this one. I was specifically looking for picture books about money. Reading a bunch that I didn't choose, it made me realise like it's actually so hard to address this in a picture book. Mm. And a lot mm. of picture books that I came across, either the characters in the picture book interacting with the money don't really need it. It's from the point of view of people who've got plenty. Or mm. like it's a real horrible like tragedy fest and it just feels really sad and I thought this was so well balanced because there isn't a deus ex machina you know he doesn't become rich at the end and be able to buy the shoes he really wants it's not a Willy Wonka thing he remains a poor kid living with his grandma who's got low income but he ends up like such a better person yeah right yeah. like well I guess it's the thing we're talking about in cash as well of like learning right like yeah. he learns how to use what he's got and I, I love that it's true about how difficult it is and like I think a lot of books I mean you know that the, th- the thing about teachers giving children shoes like this comes up in a lot of books about poor kids and normally the poor kid then like has to make such a show of gratitude and appreciation mm, and like mm, mm. I like that he doesn't feel that he's like thanks but actually these are rubbish the pictures are great yeah so quite simple cartoon drawings Mm. but the amount of expression in the face it's it's one of them it's like the picture we've got of like the teacher who's like got his tie on he's like bald on top with a bit of hair around the back sort of bespectacled weather-beaten school guidance counselor right yeah and has just got this like slightly desperate little smile on the side of his mouth and his eyebrows raised like hey look yeah here's a shoe the expression on jeremy's face is just this like one eyebrow raised like <laughs> slight purse of the lips like yeah he's clearly trying to be nice about yeah, this yeah he is it deals well with the shame of having to have the charity shoes yeah. you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. from the teacher like even though the teacher's been really nice about it he's old enough to feel a certain amount of shame about it and that's really true as well you know, if you're the free school meals kid, if you're the scholarship kid, if you're the one that's mm. getting some kind of aid or some kind of help to be somewhere or have something, it feels really complicated. And it feels really complicated from when you're really young. Like, I mm. think this thing about, like, kids not knowing about money or not understanding about money is mm. only true for kids whose parents have enough Mm, like mm, mm. there's nothing wrong with your parents having enough money of course but it is a certain privilege not to know about it i've got a mate who like was doing freelance theater stuff same as me but it's like way better than me at putting something aside every month for pension and all the rest of it wow growing up like he he knew what running out of money was yeah there's a bottom to this and it stops yeah i've never experienced that and i'm never gonna not really Mm. i'll always be able to go to my mum for help if I need to. Yeah. Like I just will. It's that difference. Like I've mm. never I've never been well off, but I've never known what running out really is. Yeah. And a lot of children do know what it is. And I think yeah, it's yeah. really important to represent that in a picture book. I think there are some subjects that we want to protect children from, like poverty, like not having enough. But I think then we fail the children who are having those experiences by failing to represent them in fiction. And I think this is just so lovely, like, 
he's a really good working class kid but he's not like an aspirationally good perfectly grateful non-materialistic he wants the shoes it's such an emotional book i think it's such a good book about the feelings about money and the feelings about wanting something that you just can't afford it's dead political as well like yeah. you know like the awareness he has of like maybe there's a rich kid yeah looking at the pictures again so like it's beautiful this so it's he's sat with his broken shoes and he's just sat with his back up against a dumpster with like a crisp packet and a can lying beside it looking at his broken shoes and then the city line in the background with like a sort of building size billboard yeah above the buildings with like those shoes yeah. on them and the whole background's kind of grayscale sort of not pulling punches like the pictures it's two different worlds yeah it's really good about the advertising yeah. And about how much the advertising is pervasive and everywhere. Like, he wants them so much and he sees them everywhere he looks. Yeah. Rashmi Suresh Pandey talks about this in Cash, that, like, mm. the more often you see a product, the more familiar it becomes to you and the more it feels like a good thing because your mm. brain is associating, you know, regular exposure with good and safe. Mm. And he's surrounded by pictures of those shoes and he can't have them. It is a little bit like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and all the chocolate bars he can't eat. Yeah. Um, except that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory ends up with, Charlie's rich now and he owns a factory and it's fine that he exploits his workers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how the grandma's represented. She's like, she's a really good person who's really mm. trying. I like that there's no explanation given for why he's being raised by his grandma either. Like, it's just yeah. how it is. And we're not all dealt an even hand, even when we're kids. And I like that it acknowledges that, that some kids are rich and they're going to get so many shoes at Christmas that they'll never wear them. I love that he's a little bit angry about it, Mm. that like he does feel it's unfair because it is unfair. Young people are very awake to unfairness. Like it's one of the Mm. sort of a driving concept in their lives at that point. And so I feel like this sort of stuff is really sharp to them. The other lovely bit of learning, I think, at the end of the book, because you get the snow comes in and you switch to winter boots and it's mm. fine, is like these things pass, right? And like how yeah. faddy these things are. And it's like yeah. Jeremy gets that learning as well before anyone else. He, he's getting that sort of like emotional intelligence ahead of everyone mm. else kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Antonio knows what he's given up as well. That's the really lovely yeah. thing. Like Antonio comes comes up to him and says, like, yeah, thanks. And he sort of gives him a little nudge, like, it's all right. We don't need to talk about it, but, like, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> so it's like they've got that link there as well. Right? Yeah. And, like, yeah, really good pairing with Cash as well, I think. And where those two sit together, because it is sort of saying a lot of the same things in, like, very different mediums. And probably for a similar sort of age. I feel like a lot that I read at that time was quite judgmental about wanting stuff. Mm. You know, and that like, if you were a poor kid, you should just transcend that wanting and just Mm. be wiser and better than that. And I think it's really empathetic about the experience of really wanting something. And interesting as well, because I'd say like by the end of this story, that is sort of where Jeremy gets to in a way. But you kind of see how he's got there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and he's gone through like wanting to break his pencil. Yeah, and yeah, cramming yeah. his toes exactly. into the two small shoes. Like it's a journey. He's he's reached a point of realizing things that are more important. Yeah, he grows so much yeah. in this book. Yeah, yeah. 
So that was episode 41 of Even the Trunchbull. Uh, thank you again so much to Lizette Orton for coming on as a guest. That's right, yes. And remember, if you want to find out what Lizette's up to, type her Googleable name into Google. If you haven't yet, um, do have a read of Secrets of Haven Point and Lizette's new book, The Stickleback Catchers. And thank you all for listening. Once again, if you've any thoughts on books you loved as a kid... Or love now, as a kid. Let us know, or ask a grown-up to let us know. We're at eventhetrunchable at gmail.com, catch us on Twitter at trunchablepod, or on Instagram at eventhetrunchable. We'll just remind you that we're going away for a little bit. Yes, I was about to say, we're, we're going to go on a little bit of a hiatus so that I can, um, fittingly, write some funding bids so I can <laughs> have money. And then once all that's a little bit more in hand... We'll come back and do more of these. I'd say expect about a six-month wait. We'll be back probably around the autumn. If this is the first episode you've listened to, then there are 40 others. Yeah. If you're all up to speed, then there's loads of other podcasts. And we'll spend a bit of time on the Twitter pointing you in the direction of some of those. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, If you're missing me talking about children's books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got another podcast with friend of this podcast, Dave Pickering, who you might remember from our episodes about dementia and magical hats. Yeah, it's called the Pod Goblin's Hat, and I'll stick a link in the show notes. Uh, we're reading all the way through Tuve Janssen's Moomin books in order of publication, and we're doing two episodes per chapter book. So it's a real granular read through. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if you like this, I think you'll like that. Um, and we've got a whole season one out already, and season two will be coming in about a month or so. It's lovely that people listen to this. Every now and again, we get messages of people who listen and like it, and it's it's wonderful. I come from a medium where I stand on a stage and talk at people who are there, and I know that they're at least pretending to listen. Um, doing this feels like shouting into a void. <laughs> There's a bit in my brain that sort of seems that no one else will, will ever listen to this and then I find out that they do, which which is lovely. So if, if that is you and you are listening, then thank you. It means the world. You should look at our iTunes reviews on the US store. I'd forgotten to look, but we've got a couple really nice ones. Oh, cool. Great. Some podcasts read out their iTunes reviews. And I've always found that a bit naff, but then we got a really nice one from Corey. And I'm like, thanks, Corey. <laughs> no, let's let's read it. Let, OK, let's... OK. Where's my phone? It says, wonderful. Currently my favourite podcast. Absolutely a joy to listen to Nina and Matt discuss children's books. Their discussions are so insightful and enjoyable. Wonderful guest as well. Currently one of my favourite podcasts. That's very lovely, Corey. Thank oh, you so much. Thank you so much. That is an absolute, absolute pleasure to hear. Oh, I feel extra bad for leaving for a bit now. Intro music for this episode, as always, every episode, is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers. And remember, kids' books can be for everyone because we've all been kids. Even the Trunchbull.